You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. This is the call out. Darling, Babylon, I done took my sandals off. Let me be the one who shines in the dark. Fill my mouth so I don't. Babylon, let me I don't. Let me speak the way the green Babylon down, down. Good day, everybody. This is Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. We interrupt our regularly scheduled bumper music for my friend Walesse Fagutu. I love Walesse. He is just so much fun. He is on his way to Colorado here in a couple of days to record a video for that. It's a song called Babylon Down. And in the middle of all that, because they have nothing better to do, he is also recording some kids' music videos this weekend that my kids are going to be a part of. They're excited about that. And this weekend, he's going to be leading worship along with his wife, Rachel, out in the woods for us. We have found a little amphitheater down south of town where we can spread out some folks and we can worship. I'm so excited. You know, teaching online works. Uh, it's not great, but it works whether you're on Zoom or, or you're streaming or, or whatever the case is. But worship is hard to do online. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's hard. And I have craved this sense of corporate worship. And so we have found a way that we can do this kind of out in the woods, safely, plenty of distance for everybody. We're going to receive communion, worship together. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you want any information on it, you can find it at zoefoundationkc.com, zoefoundationkc.com. You're welcome to join us. I have no idea what to expect. We have not promoted this really other than mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times. And who knows? I'm thinking somewhere between 20 and 70. I just, I have no idea what we're going to see. But we are looking forward to gathering together and uh, just worshiping, lifting up our voices with our friends. ZoeFoundationKC.com. I am enjoying my third cup of coffee a ton today. It's from Connect Roasters, which is located in central Illinois. They sent me a... Uh, these little packet of Guatemalan and I think Colombian and the Guatemalan is unbelievable. Super, super appreciative of that. Also Jordan Bergren, who uh, is teamed up with them, who helped me access that coffee. You're a good man, Jordan. Now this was not a paid endorsement. Don't have a panic attack. This was not a quid pro quo. Although I would be totally open to that kind of thing. Remember when we were talking about quid pro quo, like it was the most important thing in the world, like pre-COVID? Pre-COVID, everybody was talking about quid pro quo. Now we don't even remember what the quo was pro quid for. We don't even know. It's done. Who knows? I'm just grateful for the coffee. That's true. Today's going to be a short podcast. Somebody sent me the kindest email uh, this week. They said, one thing that our whole family loves about your sermons and your podcast is they're short. Well, you're going to love this one because I am kind of pressed for time and uh, I am preparing for the next thing, which seems to be all the time, but I am working today on a story and some teaching that Kelsey and I are going to share tonight, and I've got to get that together. We are working on telling a story that we have really not sat down and told for many, many, many years. And stories have more power in our minds and in our hearts than principles do. Now, we all need principles. We guide our lives by principles. Principles are the point of our stories, but stories will carry the truth in a way that a bullet list will never, ever convince anybody of anything. Think of your closest friends. I'm sure you know some of the principles of their lives, but I know that you know their stories. 
when you're sitting around the fire, you don't share links. You share stories. Think of my good friend Rusty Gevert from Cincinnati. Rusty is a phenomenal dad, phenomenal husband, teacher, preacher, friend. You know what I remember about Rusty? Best storyteller in the world. And his stories always have a point, but I remember the story. For the last four years, I think we've kind of held back on telling some stories as we try to assimilate into a culture, and ultimately it probably wasn't helpful because who we are is who we are because of our stories. That's not to say we can't change or morph, but it takes new stories to replace the old ones sometimes. And at this time in my life, I don't want it to be anything that the Lord has not prepared me to be for a long time. And our stories tell how he has prepared us. If you're a leader, make sure the people you're leading, the people who work for you, your children, uh, your small group, make sure that they know your stories and they are okay with where your stories lead you. Because ultimately, that's where you're going. So tonight, Kelsey and I are going to hop on Zoom with some friends, and we're going to tell a story. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All that to say, shorter podcast today, as I have to jump in and prepare for that. I asked on, uh, on Instagram uh, if anybody had any questions about the early years. Because mostly when I share and I, and I talk about where we've been and what we've done, it's been for the past 15 years. We've been married almost 31 years. And so I uh, wanted to give people an opportunity to ask questions about those early years. And I had to laugh because the first question that came in is someone who I have talked to multiple times a week for the past couple of months. And they said, how did you guys meet? We feel like we don't even know you. I'm like, how do you not know this? I, of course you know how we meet. Well, it turns out they don't know how we met. So I thought I would share that. And I thought I'd even do better than that. I would share... I would share the song that was written about the time that Kelsey and I met. This song, it really is our story. Okay, that's not exactly how it happened, and that song wasn't exactly written for us. It was written years before us, but that's kind of how it happened, except instead of going down a street, I was riding down an escalator. And as I rode down the escalator, I was, let's see, it's 1988. We are in Battlefield Mall in Springfield, Missouri, back when malls were a thing and people went places. And uh, I'm riding down the escalator, and I look over to the right, and I see off to the right my friend Julie. She's in a little gift shop or something, and she waves. I haven't seen her all summer. We're back in college, and I wave to her, and Julie waves back to me, and then she steps off to the side, and I see her, and my heart begins to race. It's Julie's new roommate, Kelsey. So I beat feet down across the escalator and across the mall, to go talk to Julie. And of course, once I get there, I completely ignore Julie. And I talk to her friend, who was Kelsey. That would have been the last weekend of August, maybe the first weekend of September of 1988. By Christmas, we were engaged. By July of 89, we were married. So, you know, here we are, nearly 31 years and 10 kids later, and I 
I think it's going to make it. It just feels good. feels like it's going to work. So first question, where did we meet Springfield, Missouri, right for uh, my senior year of college, married shortly after that. Second question, a little more substantive here. What are some of the biggest challenges that you and Kelsey have overcome together? What are the biggest challenges you've overcome together? Well, the first big challenge I would say is just being married to me is a pretty significant challenge, but Kelsey's had to overcome that on her own and she's done very well with it. But when you think about together, I think it's probably the same hurdle that every other couple has to cross, which is how you make decisions. Because you go into marriage as an adult. I mean, we were barely adults, but we were adults and we were certainly not short on opinions and certainly not short on how we decided things. Suddenly you're thrown together and you have to make decisions together. And I would say that over the years, we have had to learn to do that. That did not come naturally. Kelsey is a dreamer. She's a visionary. Um, and most of the good ideas over the back of the 31 years of our marriage, most of our good ideas were Kelsey's. I'll just flat out tell you. When you when you think, oh, the Bolanders did this, this, or this, most of those ideas were Kelsey's. Now, most of the narrow escapes where we barely got out with our lives, those were mine. I'm, what I mean by that is I didn't get us into trouble. I was the one that said, no, 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 we got to get out of here. I am by nature a little more cautious than she is. And one of our challenges was learning to trust one another and how we process information and how we make decisions. Kelsey verbally processes. She wants to be able to state two opposing opinions with great emphasis before deciding which of those two has her full support. And that's fine if you know that. And it only took me about 20 years to figure that out. I, on the other hand, do not want to state an opinion until I've turned it over 90 different ways in my head and it is locked down tight. And so it took us a while to sort that out of how we make decisions with one of us fully interested in verbalizing every thought and the other one not wanting to say anything and how does that all come to pass. It really came down to learning to give each other time, me allowing her to speak and not feeling like I had to react to everything that she said. She might say something different in a few minutes. And her not being frustrated with me if I didn't say anything. I think one of the hardest decisions we made, and this plays out into this pattern that I've described, was the idea of adoption. Now, obviously, we are all in. We love adoption. We both love it. But we didn't get here on the exact same time. People come to me all the time and say, what if my husband's not ready for adoption? What if my wife's not ready? No couple that I know of woke up one morning, rolled over and looked at each other and said, let's adopt. I mean, that's just not how the decision is made. One always thinks about it first. And Kelsey had thought about it and we had talked about it and I was pro-adoption. How could you not be pro-adoption? I thought somebody should adopt. She was saying, no, 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 we need to adopt. And I kind of wanted to, but I wasn't quite there yet. And she gave me time, and she gave me space to think about it. One weekend in 2006, she went to Dallas to speak at an event, and she said, hey, I can't go to this thing in Lee's Summit. Will you just go and take notes for me? It was an adoption event. There was somebody there from an agency sharing, and I get there's about 100 people crammed into the room, and this guy starts to speak. He doesn't talk about any of the things that I think he has come to tell us about. He doesn't tell us how much it costs. He doesn't tell us how much paperwork there is. He doesn't tell us how long it takes. All he talks about is the heart of a father toward an adopted child. And something about what he shared gripped me. 
I barely made it out to my truck. Opened the truck door. I, I remember this distinctly, beginning to weep as I got into the truck and I sat there and cried and cried because I knew this is what God had for us. Kelsey knew it months before I did, but she gave me time to get there. Most of you that are struggling with decision-making, you just have to give one another time and allow that there is a multiple way of processing information and you just got to give each other space to be who they are. I think in some ways we didn't really get very good at this until the 25th year, really. I think we're better at it now than we've ever been before, but it, it was a long road. It took a while to discover how each of us makes decisions and to give each other enough space to make decisions that way. So that's probably our biggest challenge together. Final question. I told you we'd be short today. What do you do when your callings or your visions or your dreams don't seem to match those of your spouse? Now, I'm going to just be really blunt here because I told you it was going to be a short podcast. I think callings, dreams, visions, passions are overrated. Now, hear me out. Of course, they're important. They're important. The thing God's put in your heart, the things that you've always dreamt of, they're important. But I think we've been really quick to call things passions when probably they're just an interest. They're just something we like to do. But when we elevate it to it's my passion, then it feels like an uh, undeniable right. It's who I am at the you know, at the core level. Really? I mean, no, that's you like to do that. When we say passion, suddenly behavior is accepted that would not be accepted were it not a matter of being your passion. Example, man comes home, finds his wife with his best friend, shoots his best friend. What's the defense? Crime of passion. Well, what do you mean? Well, he couldn't help it. It was his passion. Okay, and there's actually some logic to that. But in that respect, golf is not a passion, okay? It's a hobby. Um, some of the things that you call passions are not passions, they're interests. Don't elevate an interest or something that excites you to the level of passion where you could go shoot somebody and probably get away with it because you were so driven, your passions are so different. Most of the world, when you think about it, around the world, most of the world doesn't get to pursue their passion. They just don't. Do you think the villager in rural China working in a rice paddy gets to pursue his passion? You think rice is his passion? Probably not. It's what he needs to do to feed his family. I was um, in a job interview years ago, and this is kind of where I was. I just really needed a job. We needed to make money and, and provide for our family. And the person who was interviewing me said, What's your passion? And I blurted out, to feed my family. Now, probably wasn't the answer they were looking for, and we had a good laugh, and we ended up being good friends, and no, I didn't get the job. But my point is, there are actually things that are given to you to be and to do that never get elevated to the level of passion. And then there are all these things that we want to do that we call passions, and pretty soon the tail is wagging the dog. Not everyone gets an opportunity to pursue their passions. Everyone gets an opportunity to be good relationally with other people. Everybody gets an opportunity to um, fulfill other people's needs or to help other people. If you're married, you've got an opportunity to be a great spouse. You might never accomplish your passions, but what's your higher calling? Now, 
that was pretty depressing because you're thinking I've got to give up on everything that I've called a passion, even if it's just an interest. Not necessarily. Just give it time. I have found that over the years, the things that I was most excited about and the things that Kelsey was most excited about, some of them have fallen away and others of them have grown together in a way that is really unique. That takes time, especially when you're young and the things you, you feel like the things you're excited about are so different. Give the Lord time to weave the tapestry of your life 20 years out, 30 years out. It's hard telling how the interests that you both have might meld together. The Lord works it out. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. I hope you have a great weekend. If you're in the Kansas City area, you're thinking about it. We would love to have you with us. To worship in the woods, go to zoefoundationkc.com for more information. Have a great day.